Hi and welcome to a new episode of The Walk. I'm Father Roderick. I'm recording this on a Tuesday morning on a cold autumn day. Well, cold especially compared to Rome where I was last week or actually for the last 10, 11 days. It was really summertime weather there. Beautiful sunshine. Almost no clouds. Just a perfect late summer type of weather that is so much better than anything they had in Rome for the past months because they've had uh, excruciating heat during the summertime. Temperatures rising all the way to 40 degrees Celsius. That's in the hundreds Fahrenheit, I think. And then uh, right before we arrived in Rome, they've had floods in certain parts of Italy, storms, downpour, and when we arrived, everything cleared up, and it was just perfect weather. But today, it's kind of chilly, and I am uh, on a quest to get back into health, to, to get back into shape. I just did a, an early morning, well, early, it's not that early, it's now 9.30, so that's hardly early. I'm waiting, by the way, for the to cross the street here. The ticking noise is for the blind people, as you know, so they can hear when when to cross. Um, I did my early morning routine using an app called... Wait, oh, there we go. Using an app called uh, Streaks Workout. I don't know how I discovered it. I thought I saw I thought a link. I think I saw a link on uh, in an article somewhere. And uh, it's available for the for iOS, probably also for Android. It's a free app, and what it does is it it creates these workouts for a certain you know, a certain duration. You can go from six minutes to fifteen minutes to twenty or half an hour, and you can select a type of exercise that you want to do with tiny icons that also show you how to do the the exercises, and then it. It just compiles a, a random workout for you, which you then have to try to accomplish within the time given to you. Every time you do an exercise, you tap on the icon and then it goes to the next exercise. And there's a little bit of gamification in in that uh, program, in a sense that it, it uh, challenge you, challenges you to go on these streaks, so to to do another one the next day and one the next day, and so you build up these long streaks. And for me, that works. And it was really necessary. After Rome, I felt that now it was time to, to do something about my health again. Uh, I've had busy months, lots of work. Rome was, um, was great, but it was also uh, very exhausting. I'll talk a little bit about that later on. And uh, not to mention the good Italian food, all that. When I came back home, I just felt tired and out of shape, and uh, and I am out of shape. This year is the first year in since 2008, I think, that I haven't run a marathon, and so I've been training much less than uh, I did previous years. And so, well, you know, it's not too late. <laughs> the year is still going. We're only in September, so I still have a couple of months to get back into my normal shape. And I think it will benefit the energy that I can dedicate to my work as well. So let's talk a little bit about Rome. As you may have heard in one of my podcasts, I was going 
on a pilgrimage with uh, a small group of uh, listeners to the podcast or um, people that, long-time listeners, uh, people that have been following what I do since the, the early beginnings, 2005, but also more, much more recent listeners and followers. And uh, this has been uh, a, a project that was a long time in the making. Mountain Torek is a, a Catholic uh, pilgrimage organ- or organizer. I don't know how to describe it. Otherwise, he's, uh, you can find him at the Catholic Traveler on uh, Facebook and on um, Instagram, Twitter. And he's been asking me for many years if I wouldn't want to lead a pilgrimage. And so it finally happened this year. And um, I committed to this about a year ago. Didn't really know about my schedule back then. So once the date was fixed, I started to discover that, well, it may be a little bit of a busy time. And it was because... it's the beginning of the television season, and after my episode about the Camino, my next few episodes are Rome episodes, the ones in which I go and explore the city of Rome and the Vatican and talk to people there. And the deadline was right after the pilgrimage. So that was pretty tough. What was that? <laughs> They're renovating the house and someone opened the door and started making these weird sounds. Huh. Okay. <laughs> anyway. So, um, I, I had the plan originally to free up some time around the pilgrimage by going to Rome earlier in the year, in the, during the summer holiday. But because it was so hot, I decided not to uh, because it's near impossible to, to work under those circumstances I have to lug around all my equipment myself and I'm also the producer so I have to arrange everything it would would have been uh, well, way too taxing the consequence of that was that I somehow had to do the work that I normally do around this time of the year while also being on this pilgrimage and uh, I made a plan beforehand uh, and, and, and with Inge, the producer of, of the shows, we, uh, we explored... So we, we've been in Rome before, so we, we've already um, kind of established a certain format for the program. So we're kind of planning ahead, we could do this and that and that. Um, and then, uh, as usual, when you're actually there and uh, the pilgrimage is in full swing, you discover that, wait a minute... I have much less time than I thought, and uh, we're going to all these places, and I have to be there all the time, so this is not going to work. And uh, also the format that I had come up with depended on a lot of encounters with people, interviews, but you have to set those up, which I didn't have time for, and some people couldn't reach them, or they didn't reply. So um, I had to kind of think on my feet and come up with something else. And the, the first idea that I had was, well, going on this pilgrimage, the, the previous episode was my own personal story of how I uh, went to, to uh, Santiago. It was a very personal story, and people seemed to like that style. It's not very common on television, 
it's much more of a uh, a new media type or social media type of format where the presenter is not just announcing a story that then will happen in this objective you know presenterless atmosphere or or with uh or environment or or with a, a journalist or a reporter that goes to certain places but this was a personal story where just like on youtube the narrator is a presenter and the story is his or her story but since people reacted so well to the to the camino episode i figured you know i could just tell the story of this pilgrimage and follow the group and just take people along see if that works it has the added advantage of uh, of making of documenting this trip and so i could eventually also turn it into uh, an english version that we could share with the community and so that's what i did and uh, uh it was it was okay in the sense that of course a pilgrimage is not i mean that's an experience um but it's not really a story in the sense that it is it doesn't have a quest the quest is the places you're going to visit there is a spiritual quest in a certain way it's you know opening yourself up to what god wants you to tell you during that pilgrimage um but there's not really a like a visual narrative quest that we're we're finally going to arrive this and so i had to keep in mind that when i would be editing this i would have to probably just kind of tell the story kind of superimpose um um let's say uh, not a format but just just create a narrative out of all these different images and and events during the pilgrimage and there were many of them so that was a bit of a challenge the second challenge was that uh i forced myself to travel light uh this is just one of the things that i love to do this time every time i go on a trip i try to reduce uh even more so i think the last trip was my vacation to france and i took about what was it five and a half six kilos with me of stuff this time i went way below that and i only took this so this time in rome was longer than my vacation in france and i only took four kilos which included my camera and a tripod which i didn't take to to uh to france so it was uh it was really a minimum and it also forced me to <laughs> to choose to pick my camera um i have now three devices with which i film the iphone of course but that turns out to be kind of tricky for television conversion because of the frame rate issues difference of frame rate frame rates between the phone and the dutch or the european standards the pal standards I won't go into details but it was quite a challenge when i was compiling the camino episode i think i shared that with you then i have my old trusty sony camera which has an excellent image stabilization stabilization um you can you can run with that thing and it will still look as if you're uh, in a car it's very very smooth it's also uh a device that i've been using since 2012 i think for five years and i've i've created so many te- television episodes with that also has its 
limitations. It's not very... Uh, it's got a small lens, a small sensor, so it's not very good in darker situations. And you can't do uh, what I like visually, and that is to create the blurry backgrounds. For that, you need much more light in the camera. Um, and, and those those ambitions to create nicer looking and different looking footage made me get um, an, a, a DSLR so a digital um, a, a professional cameras um, a Canon uh, 80 ATV with a zoom lens on it and I had been doing some small tests with it but really never had the time or the occasion to try that out and to learn to master the, that device. But it's something I wanted to be able to use in future uh, productions. So I figured, you know what, there's only one way to do this, to get to, to get to know this camera, and that is to use it. So I departed for Rome with this crazy idea of uh, filming footage for not one, but three episodes of my TV show um, using just that one DSLR um, without having read the manual. Nerds and geeks don't read manuals, as you know. Uh, I do know a little bit about cameras, but I didn't know much about this camera. So that uh, was... That was interesting, to say the least. Many times I was just messing around with that camera, trying to get it ready, and then I missed the shot because it's just a slower device to use. There are more settings on it, and I don't have a, the habit of using those settings yet compared to my Sony camera, or let alone the iPhone, where you just push record and it's recording whatever you see. So it was a very different experience, frustrating sometimes, because um, <laughs> I couldn't get the shots that I knew I could pull off with the other two cameras easily this time. Uh, yeah, there was much more material that I had to discard afterwards in, in, in the editing. However, I was also able to do a couple of, of new things with this camera, especially the kind of sharp in-focus foreground and blurry background, which resulted in some beautiful shots, which I couldn't have made with the other two cameras. But I think the conclusion is that in the future, I probably will take two cameras. I'm not sure yet. Or I have to get much more agile with this uh, DSLR. Um, because I just don't want to miss all those beautiful shots. Just because I'm struggling with the technology or with the mechanics of the camera. But anyway, so what I did was... Uh, I filmed during the pilgrimage. And I, 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 had, I stayed for... Three more, two more nights, so about two and a half days extra in Rome to do all the additional filming and to include a few interviews that I just couldn't squeeze into the schedule uh, during the pilgrimage itself. So for the the group was, as I said, it was relatively small, fifteen people I think in total, and. Uh, uh, all of them from the United States, from different parts of the United States. Some of them, I knew them uh, through social media. Uh, I, I, I met just a few of them. Uh, and then, um, but, for, for, but 
more than half of the group was was new to me. Um, but as usual, if you if you travel for more than a week together, um, the relationships quickly develop and you get to know each other very well. And we had a great time. Started in Rome, went to a lot of the the well-known places for pilgrims, but not so well-known by me. <laughs> that was one of the interesting things, is that Mountain, uh, who, who organizes these trips uh, uh, for, for years now, took me to a number of places that I hadn't visited yet, that I didn't know much about. Because whenever I'm in Rome, I'm there to work, I'm there to film, I have very specific places where I need to be. And while I was living in Rome, I was studying almost day and night. I did this uh, social or this um, yeah, social communications course uh, for two years at the Gregorian University, uh, which was just so much work that uh, I didn't have time for any sightseeing, touristy stuff, pilgrim pilgrim stuff. I just I just worked, <laughs> really, literally every single day that I that I lived in Rome. So, and in a way, I didn't mind because that made the pilgrimage so much more interesting to me as well because I was discovering it with my fellow pilgrims. One, one place, for instance, to give you an example, was the Church of the Holy Cross, which we visited the first full day, I think. It's kind of the second day of the pilgrimage. On Tuesday, we, uh, we first went to St. John Lateran, um, the mother of all churches is the official cathedral of uh, of the diocese of of Rome, and so it has the seat of the bishop of Rome, which is Pope Francis. And then opposite or next to that building is uh, are the holy stairs, which are the marble stairs from the palace of Pontius Pilate, which were brought to Rome by the mother of Emperor Constantine, and. Uh, People climbed that, those stairs uh, it, on their knees. And then from there we went to another place that was related to um, the mother of, uh, of Emperor Constantine, Helena, uh, where the relics of the Holy Cross are kept. So she discovered the location of the cross on which Jesus died and brought those remains back to Rome, kept it in her bedroom, I think, and on, that, on, on the place of her house is now the Church of the Holy Cross, where those relics are venerated. And that was, that was totally new for me. I'd never visited that church or seen those relics, so that was very special. It kind of literally visualizes the passion of Jesus and brings it, it gives it a certain... Um, uh, you, you literally get closer to, to those events. And of course, this, is, this all happened a long time ago. A lot of those stories are hard to verify uh, historically. And nevertheless, it did have uh, quite an impact on me. Uh, so anyway, that was, <laughs> that, was, that was interesting, the Rome part. And of course, we went to see the Pope on Wednesday. Um, and I saw... A nice story, a storyline there where uh, Brad and Katie, uh, a couple of newlyweds who, who joined our pilgrimage, wanted to go visit the Pope and get his blessing over their marriage, um, which is a thing that newlyweds can always do on, on Wednesday. 
they can go with their marriage certificate or a letter of their priest to uh, St. Peter's Square with, with a regular ticket for the audience. And then they get a special place during Wednesday's audience. And afterwards, the Pope will often come to greet them and chat with them. And so I followed Brad and Katie in their, in their efforts to, to, to meet the Pope that morning in person. Um, and they were not the only newlyweds that were there. There was a, a big crowd of newlyweds, all in their wedding costumes and, and dresses. So uh, th- that was going to be interesting to see if, if they would manage to actually meet the Pope in person. I won't spoil the result, although you may have already seen what happened uh, if you follow me on, on social media. But that's a story that I told also in the... In, uh, in the TV show. And then from there we went to Assisi, which is a place that I've only visited once before, many years ago. I think it's 20 years ago. It was before I went to Rome, I think, to study. And uh, back then I only went for a day, took the train, walked a little bit in the, in, the, uh, in the city and on the countryside, and then I had to head back to wherever I was staying at the time. So I didn't have much time to visit this time we would be staying three nights, which is great because it's a beautiful medieval town um, in Umbria, which is a, a gorgeous region in, um, in Italy. Uh, it's more mountainous than the area around Rome. Um, the city is on a hillside, and so around it you can see these, this beautiful valley with olive orchards, etc. Well, <laughs> what am I saying? I think I already shared with this with you last week. Uh, I've got amnesia because the last episode of the walk was from from uh, uh, from Assisi. But in case you missed it, I just gave you an update for about 15 minutes of stuff you already knew. <laughs> and then we went back to Rome again uh, for the remainder of the pilgrimage, which included a, a mass at the catacombs of St. Calixtus, which was uh, something I'd never done before. So you're deep in the, in the catacombs itself. This is a place where early Christians buried their dead. Also, a lot of martyrs and popes and saints were buried there. And to celebrate Mass there in a place where you know many people, many Christians before you, that, that laid the foundation for Christianity as we know it, um, to, to be there in the same location, celebrating the same Eucharist. Uh, it's a very, very special moment. And then the next day, the final day of the pilgrimage, we celebrated Mass at the Basilica of St. Peter's at the tomb of John Paul II. Very early in the morning, by the way. This can only, you can only do that before the Basilica opens to the tourists. And so... We had to wake up at six, and this was at the end of a, of this long pilgrimage with long, long days, and so I was so tired, which had an uh, unintended consequence in that while I was celebrating Mass, I realized that I had forgotten to take in the chalice from the sacristy, which is at the other side of the basilica, um, and it's a big church, <laughs> so I had to send back the Italian altar boy to, to fetch me the the chalice that was uh, <laughs> that was a, a, a well a humiliating and yet funny moment during during mass and so once we said our goodbyes and the 
participants of the, to the pilgrimage went back to to uh, the United States. I, I uh, stayed for another two, three days. What was it? Tuesday, Wednesday. No, just Tuesday, Wednesday, because Thursday morning I had to go fly back to the Netherlands. Um, and I, I interviewed two people, or actually three people, two people from the Vatican, uh, Monsieur Sozman, who works there. Uh, he's been the uh, promoter of the uh, case for beatification and hopefully also canonization of uh, Fulton Sheen, Archbishop Fulton Sheen. So I talked with him about uh, uh, the media work of this bishop, but also about the rest of his life. You know, why, why is he up for canonization? And I learned a lot of new things about Fulton Sheen. And the second interview with, with, was with my old friend Paul Tai, now Monsignor Paul Tai is a bishop now, uh, who works at the Council for Culture in the Vatican. And so I wanted to talk with him about how to engage the culture. It's something I do on a, or try to do it on a daily basis. Um, and I, I just wanted to talk with him about ways in which we, in, in general, also on a local level, in our parishes, in our local communities, how we can um, meet people in the culture that surrounds us and how to connect with all these various elements of our, of our modern-day culture, from sports to art and uh, from science to to uh, I don't know to something else <laughs> video we even talked about video games <laughs> so that was that was great and uh, um, Monsieur Ty always has a, uh, a, a I mean he's a good speaker and he really is able to uh, give you the kind of the broad vision um, that that kind of leads their efforts to engage the culture and then the, the Tuesday, was it Wednesday, Wednesday afternoon, I interviewed um, Patricia, who is a parishioner of mine, but also lives in Rome. She sometimes lives here, and sometimes she lives for months in Rome. Her daughters uh, live in Rome as well. And uh, uh, her husband died uh, not so long ago. I, I, he, too, met him several times at my parish. And she works as a guide in Rome. Um, and she has, she has an interesting story to tell. And I wanted to visit with her some of the places that are special to her, that have meant uh, a lot to her, um, for her faith, to her faith. And that was a, turned out to be a wonderful conversation and also a wonderful tour of uh, some of the places in Rome. I was very happy with what we've been able to film there and the stories that she uh, that she told and that was it i was so glad that it was over because by the by that time wednesday evening i was just running on empty i was so exhausted um in the morning i had to record my presentations which is where you're facing the camera and you tell the viewers you know this is what you're going to see and while rewatching the footage i just could see that i had these massive bags under my eyes and just looked so tired um it was probably also because the the filming of those presentations was quite a challenge as well i remember at one point you always try to find calm spots in rome let me turn to the right here i'm walking through the park in case you you're wondering so i'm going off track right now like a little detour through this part of the park and I'll probably need to go back 
what time is it? Oh, it's already six past ten. Because I still need to run. I'm going to pick up running again. And so, I've got to bring back the... Ugh, yikes, my feet are <laughs> soaking wet. I'm walking through the grass. Not realizing that on this misty day, the grass is wet. And now my toes are wet. Oh, well. Um... So I tried to find a quiet spot in Rome. There's always so much traffic. So um, I went down to the riverside near the Tiber, or alongside the Tiber. There are these uh, uh, kind of walkways. There's a, even a biking lane on one side of the Tiber. And I knew that you would have a nice view of the, of the river, of the bridges. You could also see the Castel San Angelo at one point. And I, I just tried to record my first batch of, of presentations there. Uh, the only thing was I had brought this super flimsy, very lightweight tripod with me. Which is the lightest tripod that I've been able to find. There are, this one I, I've had for 20 years. Um, it's made of aluminium. Aluminium. I cannot pronounce it. Aluminum. Aluminium. And... Uh, so it weighs almost nothing, which is great. It's also very small, but because of that, it's also extremely flimsy. And I've, and I've used it many times with my Sony camera. The Sony camera, however, is half the weight of the DSLR. And so I put the DSLR on it, tried to record. It was hard because the, 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 the Tiber in the summertime is not a good place to be because it's polluted and there are rats and flies and geez it was really really tough plus the light was very harsh this was around noon which is a difficult time you have got lots of shadows um or either too much sunlight or 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 very harsh dark shadows which doesn't doesn't give you a, a pretty picture i finally found the spot put it on put everything in place started to record and all of a sudden I see the tripod fall backwards with the camera on it. And I'm like, no. It's like when time just slows down. Like, no. <laughs> I tried to reach out to grab it, but I was way too far away. And so it fell on its back. And my heart stopped. It's like, that's the end. You know, <laughs> It's probably completely broken. But it wasn't. There was a dent in the back of the... In the kind of the the body of the camera uh but the, it just it still functioned it's a pretty rugged camera and fortunately it fell backwards instead of forward if it had fallen on the lens i'm pretty sure the lens would have been shattered which is the most important part of the camera so that would have been mildly annoying to say the least um so since it was still working i went to some other places to film and uh got all that wrapped up, returned on Thursday. And then from Thursday afternoon or evening till, till, was it yesterday? (laughs) I don't even know what day it is. It's Tuesday. Till Sunday, no, till Monday, two o'clock in the morning, I worked on finishing the episode, the editing. Um, And as I, I shared with you, the beginning of this show that was a lot of footage that was unusable because it was just me struggling with the camera uh, which 
with the other two, I never really have the problem, especially with the Sony. The moment I switch it on, I can use that material. That's how good it is. Also, color-wise, you just put it on automatic, and it will create the most beautiful shots. This camera, you put it on automatic, and half of the shots are unusable because it's just, automatic is just not as good. So, gosh, I learned my lesson there. However, that's where editing is such a wonderful process because you can completely... Uh, people don't know the things that went wrong. They only see what ends up in the final episode. And so I was able to carefully select the shots that did work. And I was able to tell the story, which I kind of did in a, in a similar way as I did the episode about Camino. Uh, I wrote the story. I wrote a very, very long voiceover track where I'm just telling the viewer what is happening. This was because on location I couldn't really film... I couldn't film myself because this camera I can't put it in selfie mode and it's way too heavy for that. Um, and uh, I, when I'm interviewing other people, the internal microphone is... And it's understandable, not very good on, on this DSLR. So every time I had to use the wireless microphone, which costs five minutes to, to get running. Uh, I even filmed part of the interview with Monsieur Sozman with the receiver turned off, which I only discovered halfway through the interview. I was like, did I turn that thing on? And then it was, the interview was going so well and then I had to interrupt it. It's such a horrible moment where you have to tell the people that you've been interviewing for 20 minutes that unfortunately none of what he said ended up you know on the, on on tape or on 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 the recording oh boy oh boy so uh recorded this long voiceover and that makes the rest of the process a little bit easier because then you have the the leading story uh already in place and you then search the just a footage that can show what I'm telling. It's not the most elegant way of television production, but it is very efficient. Uh, but the thing that always uh, happens in when I'm doing this kind of work is that eventually I always underestimate the time it takes to put the show together, which happened here too. On Sunday we had the uh, special day in our parish where all the parishioners would come together in one church and normally we have five Sunday celebrations if not more uh, and this time we all bring them together in one one big church the one underneath my window <laughs> and then after that very solemn festive mass that takes much longer than normal uh, there is this fair outside on the church square again underneath my window and uh, I knew that I had to skip that. Well, not mass, of course. I wasn't mass. But then I, I just couldn't stay. I couldn't spare two hours to socialize with the parishioners because that would mean even less time to put this to, to meet the deadline because uh, the show had to be on the servers on Monday morning at 7 o'clock. And uh, remembering that last time I, I had this deadline, I... I had to spend the entire night working. I figured I, I need those two hours. This also came after another massive disaster, and that was the internet down the stairs. Before I left, I uh, went to Rome, and I think I shared that was already with you. Um, my internet broke down. I've got fiber 
but I was an early adopter and so the, um, the modem is broken, uh, which means I have to uh, somehow hook up to the parish internet, which is a different device, uh, just a ton of cables, uh, it's down the stairs, it's all kind of tucked away, very hard to reach, and then the editing room is on the other side of the house, literally as far away as possible from the router, and there is not a very good Wi-Fi connection because of the many concrete walls in the house. There is one cable, but it goes down into the basement, and it, so it's way longer than it should be, and uh, and I, I, I think something is wrong with that cable because somehow I couldn't just get a wire to the place where I was editing. So I spent almost the entire Saturday trying to get internet, and the reason I needed internet is that I'm working, I'm still working, unfortunately, with Avid, which is an editing suite that you rent. You, it's like the Adobe cloud services. You pay a, a yearly amount, but in order for the computer to know that you're still paying uh, the, your yearly fee, it contacts the server. And of course, that's what it needed to do, otherwise it couldn't launch the program. So I needed internet. I just couldn't figure it out. So Saturday was, was just one of those horrible tech days where I'm fighting, f- literally fighting with cables and connections, and I just, I, I had to give up. This was a very, oh man, that was so hard. And of course, the more time it took, the more stressed I beca- became. I was already exhausted after Rome. So it was just one of those days where, at the end of the day, you was like, I need to go to confession. I, <laughs> I've been so uh, frustrated, angry. Oh my gosh. I was out of control at the end of that day. And so I ended up disconnecting the entire PC, logging it upstairs, where that was the only place where I had wired internet that was reliable. And I put it on a table, put it back, uh, connected another monitor to it, and it was just this camping set on which I had to edit the episode. Well... To be honest, this is not an experience that I want to repeat anymore. This is, I don't know, the fifth time that I'm in this situation having to deliver uh, before a deadline. And I made the decision that in 2018, this is part of the process that I'm no longer going to do. So in that respect, it was, I've discovered two important things uh, in these past two weeks. Actually, three. But one I already knew. Let's start with the most obvious one. Um, I've discovered that um, commitments, 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 that's how tired I am, I can't even speak anymore, um, that I make a year beforehand are not a good plan for me. My kind of life, my work, uh, but also my sanity (laughs) does not benefit from these long-term commitments. So I should not plan anything a year ahead of the of, of the game, which means that I will be able I won't be able to do a number of things. I can't I can't book a, a talk a year in advance or half a year in advance. I won't do that anymore. So that means a lot of people will say, well, then we can't invite you because we have a, this long-term planning. Well, 
that is not going to be my problem anymore. It also means that uh, I won't do these long trips anymore um, or pilgrimages. I, I loved it, but it's just the kind of thing that will always get me in trouble because I cannot predict the, the amount of work that will be on my plate uh, a year ahead of the game. Um, so that was, that was the first important decision that I took. I'm not going to commit to big projects like this was a big, it was 10 days a year in advance. I should not do that. Second uh, thing that I discovered was while I was filming in Rome, I realized that this, the format that I had come up with beforehand, which was to film all these separated segments, a, li a little interview there, a promenade in, in the streets of Rome, um, a, a small report on something noteworthy in the, in the city, that that no longer works for me. It's, it's not what I want to do. It's not, I mean, I can, I can create a nice Rome-based episode, which is fun to look at, and it's got, you know, I'll just put in some music and nice images, and it's, it'll work. People will watch it. But I'm not interested in doing that because I cannot tell a story. There is no quest. That is one of the, I think, the big leaps I made in my, um, let's say, in my career. Career is a weird word because it's not in my career. But let's say, for the sake of it, for the, in my career as a, as a program maker, uh, I want to tell something that makes a difference. I want to go on a, on a quest. I want to discover something. I want to learn something. And there needs to be this quest. And otherwise, I am not motivated to, to spend so much time and effort into a TV show that will be here today and gone tomorrow. That was big... Uh, the big discovery of, of, of filming the Camino is like, this is the kind of story that works for me. This is what I've been doing since 2005 with the, with the podcast. The, the shows that gave me the most uh, joy to make and, and where I was most motivated was where I would take the listener to all these different places. And we would, I would describe what I was seeing and there would be unexpected events and it was a story. It was a story, an adventure. And the, a lot of the regular shows, The Break and, and Geek Week, are conversation. They're not really um, the core programs, even though they have been the core of what I've been doing. But that, that is because it's friendship that is the, the, the goal of, of those programs. It's relating and communicating with, with the community. And uh, we talk about... That's why it's so eclectic. Because that's how you talk with your friends as well. You know, not every conversation with your friends is, has this very specific quest for knowledge or insight. No, it's just... We just talk. It's, it's the way you, you maintain friendships. But my ambitions... And you know this because I've been sharing this. But it be, just became so clear this past week. My ambition is in, when it comes to pro creating programs. I want to tell stories that change people, that touch them, that have changed me. And uh, with the, the way I was approaching these Rome episodes, 
that just didn't work. And so that's why at the end of the, of, of the pilgrimage, I was so um, distressed. It was like, how am I going to film material for these two other shows when there is no story anymore? I mean, there's, there's little that I, that I haven't seen in Rome. Uh, so where's, where's the quest? Where's the story? There is no story. Anyway, so, that, so I made a second important decision, and that is in 2018, I will tell stories in every television episode that I am commi- committing to needs to have a quest. I need to be personally involved in the story I want to tell. Because if and this is the same as with homilies. If it doesn't touch me, then it won't touch the audience. If it doesn't change me, there is little chance that it will change the audience. If it is of no interest to me, then why would anyone watch it? That is, I know that that is my strength. Um, that I work from, I, most of the things that I've done so far in media is sharing something I'm passionate about. That gives me the motivation to tell that story, to tell it well, to, anyway... And, and for TV, I want to do the same that's going to be my criterion. And this is very common, actually, among program makers. <laughs> Where's the story? That's going to be my first question. And th- that may have as a, as a consequence that that story won't be in Rome. If they're going to ask me again f- for four, five, eight episodes next year from Rome just because they want the Vatican and Rome in there my reaction will not be okay I'll do that because I like to be in Rome and I've done it before and it's easy to pull off no my question will be is there a story that I want to tell and if not I'm not going to do it and there are in instead many other places in the world where I know there are stories I want to tell there I, there are so many things I want to discover let me go beyond Rome. Let me go to other places and tell those stories I've shown with, with uh, the Camino, with Spain, that, that I can do that, that it will result in great television and that people like it. <laughs> this, uh, hello, this, this uh, Labrador, and he was approaching me and he just literally tilted his head. It's like, who are you talking to? <laughs> funny um so the uh, i think it's a maturation of of my uh, uh and this this also has um consequences for the way in which i envision the future of what i do with with podcasts i've i've a very clear notion that um the t- talk shows that i do are basically the basis of the those are that that's community building but the programs that I want to make that's a whole different story I want to do what I do for television now that I have found what my thing is that's when I that's what I want to do on both levels both here on national TV but also internationally for for Tridio Media and so that's what you're going to get so this episode that I made about Rome uh, is next on my list. That's number one, is to create an English version of that and to expand it a little bit, because then I I'm not confined to 25 minutes or to the 
television format, but I can tell an even better story, I think. And that's what I'm going to do with the future episodes as well. Not every Dutch episode will be um, suitable, I think, for an international audience, <clears throat> but there are other stories that I've wanting to to share with you for a long time and I just let myself be overwhelmed with all sorts of other things that are in my zone of what is it expertise or excellence but they're, they're not really my my final goal they're, they're not they're intermediate steps so I want to make sure that the programs that I really want to make are also have priority in in uh, my allocation of time and effort. The third thing that I've discovered, let me think, what was it? Oh, there's another little doggy <laughs> with a tennis ball. What is it with dogs and tennis balls? Why do why are they so passionate to carry a tennis ball for an hour long walk? It's it's not even a bone. It doesn't have any taste. It's just a piece of green plastic or rubber I don't know uh, let me see am I going to turn left or right oh, let's go right um, gosh that was one other thing but what was it <laughs> that's how tired I am it also had to do with program making I just totally forgot well then it's probably not important oh dog number four <laughs> hello um, <laughs> so I realized that I don't want to plan too much in advance certain things that I'm not going to do I'm going to choose to I don't know, whatever anyway so there are some, some really big insights well, let, let me add one other insight that is when I came back oh yes, well there you go this has to do with the <laughs> the insight is I don't want to work sacrificing my health or my sanity for that matter. So there are certain uh, priorities that I want to put in place again because I've had them in place before and I kind of, they lost that priority. And that is staying healthy, staying fit and, and leading a balanced life time-wise. That, that means I know that these long trips are completely derailing me physically. I, I'm still recovering. I can still feel my entire body is still exhausted from that pilgrimage and from those 10 days in Rome. So it is unwise to <laughs> put so much strain uh, on, on myself to uh, fulfill commitments that I made while not thinking things through. So... Um, Health, rebuilding my health, will now have priority. Uh, which means working out, starting to run again, um, and saying no to a gazillion things, which I have become so good at. I am so proud of myself. <laughs> I've been saying no to about 90% of, of the things that people want of me. And you know what? It's liberating, and it's also really helping me to... Uh, oh, this dog number... One, two, three, four, six, seven, and eight. Tiny little white dog and a bigger brown dog. Okay. Uh, it's it's uh, helping me to to be firm and decisive in what I do and to 
to make choices instead of trying to please everyone and uh, and and, and um, just not being able to do everything. It's just this is so much better, so much better. Anyway, so um, health comes first. That also means that these destructive days of editing under an impossible deadline are no longer something I'm going to do. Uh, I, I know that the initial impetus to work so hard this year was to help build uh, a bit of a financial reserve so that we can continue to pay uh, for uh, our producer. Uh, we, of course, had this expensive... Uh, r- r- what is it construction of the studios down the stairs still not entirely finished that all costs money uh, I don't get uh, paid by the diocese for the media work that I do well they do pay me I have to pay them back so anyway I worked really hard to be able to put the things in place for the future but now I have to make sure that I don't stay in that in that uh, situation this is something that I've uh, also seen with uh, my good friend Cliff Ravenscraft, where uh, at various points in his life, he was working day and night uh, to uh, grow his business, to put things into place. But then in the end, he started to realize that if he would continue to do everything by himself and to just continue this ongoing, like, oh, got to do six what is it, month-long courses of podcasting A to Z, it means I don't have energy for anything else. It means my life is on hold during those times. Is this really what I want? Is this my end goal? And if not, what are you going to do about it? It means that sometimes you have to let go of things that you've grown accustomed to, but that were just an intermediate step. They were just meant to create a foundation. But then you have to jump again, which is scary, but necessary to grow, both personally and, and to grow a business. And that is true for me as well. I've now established that I, and I learned how to do professional television. I've, I've worked harder than, uh, I wouldn't say than forever, because I've worked really hard most of my life. But there is no need for me to continue to do all this by myself, just to save, uh, what is it, 30% or 40% of the production costs. Uh, I think it's now time to f- find other ways of, well, or new ways, additional ways to, uh, to create um, revenue so that we can invest that into the work. But it's time for me to make a very fundamental decision. What is what I do best? What is where my heart is? That is not the editing process. This is not technology and, and struggling with internet cables and then struggling with crashing computers and Avid. And you now my desire, my, my heart is with filming, telling stories, taking people with me. And the other part of the process is something that I will need to outsource. And that will, that is a scary decision. Because similar to uh, what uh, Cliff shares um, in, in his, when he goes from, from a, a, an established source of revenue and it's a kind of a security in the sense that he knows how to do it and he can do it very well and it does work and it, 
it's it's to to only focus on what you do best and to find other ways to or completely abandon things that you've done before uh, or or ways in which you worked before that that is what i need to do in 2018 that brings me to the third decision that i almost forgot this is how new it is to me i will outsource the process of post production next year which means huh, that I will basically sacrifice 50% of my income to that. That's how expensive it is. That's how much I've been saving by doing everything myself. But I, I know now that it is not worth sacrificing my health and my sanity because that robs me from energy to do other things, to do more of what I do best. So why would I do all that work, all that editing? I don't, well, I can do it now. I kind of enjoy it, but I would, as I think I would, it, I would enjoy it just as much if someone else would do the handiwork and I would just sit there or walk in and watch what the, the, where, where the program is and then give some indications. I would do it like this and that. For that, it has been very fruitful to do this for a year, to edit a show from A to Z, because now I know if I'm going to work with editors and I'm going to outsource this, I know what, what is possible. I know what they need to work. So I can anticipate that. And it, I, couldn't, I could have outsourced this right from the get-go, but then it would have been a much more difficult uh, process because uh, and they would have to tell me, well, I need this and I would need that. Now I know what I have to bring to the table in order to outsource this because I've done it so many times. But it's just it's the, the, the physical process of spending hours and hours sitting at my desk, putting fragments in order and struggling with technology. That is something that many people can do much better than I do. They do it for a living. And it will save me so much time and energy so I can actually re- recuperate after a week. This is crazy. After 10 days of uh, the pilgrimage and the filming... I did days sometimes of 14 hours on my feet. Um, that is something. Uh, and, and then you come back and have to spend another Friday, Saturday, Sunday until 2 o'clock in the morning to, to finish this, this one program that will air today <laughs> in the afternoon. Oh, my gosh. And it may, there may be a rerun in the summer of 2018, that's it. You know, no, that is not what I'm going to do. So it's a big leap. It's kind of scary because I don't like um, spending money because it's insecurity. It's basically a lack of faith, I think, that we've been successful this year. And I, now I don't want to go spend all that money right away. But I know that if I do this and if I really only focus on what I do best and where my heart is that it will multiply the production it will enhance the quality of what I do and most of all it will help me to 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 grow and to explore things that I haven't done before and if I don't make this leap this big leap I won't be able to uh, to, to to get ahead All right, this is the uh, fuel station 
where the Dutch fill their cars up with very expensive gasoline. This is one euros and 50 cents per liter. I don't know, it's like four times as expensive as in the United States. Uh, then again, our country is smaller as well. And I'm almost home. So that's what I wanted to share with you. I apologize again if uh, uh, some of this was a repeat of what I shared with you yesterday but or last week. But honestly, I'm so tired that I don't even remember what I shared in my last episode in, uh, while, while I was walking in the orchards in, in Assisi. All right, so stay tuned. Uh, that um, story of, of going on a pilgrimage in Rome and Assisi will be uh, published soon on Tridio. If you don't follow us yet on social media, make sure you do. Uh, it's Tridio Media, so go like that page. There's also this button where you can make sure that you see the updates because sometimes the algorithm will hide it. Uh, share the stuff. Uh, like it. React to it. Comment. All that will help us uh, grow our, our, our reach with these programs. All right, I'm going to run for it. Yes, it's still green for bikes, which means I have to basically run as if I were a bike. doesn't make sense, but it works. Otherwise, this is a traffic cycle that takes a long time. Uh, so, and of course this week, back to normal with uh, the community building shows, the break, Geek Week, uh, summer is over, fall season has begun, Star Trek is on TV, so man, have I got some stuff to talk about with you. Alright, thanks for listening, thanks to my patrons for their support, you're really helping me with this quest for to grow and to make this new leap. Um, if I didn't have that support, I, I don't know if it would be uh, uh, a viable option. But you help me to, to, to deliver and to do even better in the future. Thank you so much for that. Thank you for your prayers. For your time, please pray for my sister, uh, as I shared with you two weeks ago. She still needs your prayers. And I will see you soon. I will talk to you soon. God bless.